today, I wonder if any of you have ever had those moments when you want to curl up in a ball and you just want to disappear. Generally, I'm a positive person, if you know me. I'm pretty upbeat, glass half full kind of guy. But there are several times in my life where I thought the best option that I had was just to go to sleep and feel nothing just for a little while. This happened a couple times in my life. One I vividly remember was when I was in college in my final weeks. Uh, one evening that week, I realized I had a senior project due, and I had two finals the next day. My senior project wasn't working, and I had no clue how to fix it. And I didn't feel too great about the two finals either. There was no one who could help me, no one. And I couldn't handle it anymore. So I thought the best option for me was just to go to sleep so I could feel nothing just for a little while. But there was another time before college and middle school where I had a similar feeling as well. I was home, and as all kids do sometimes, they procrastinate, and I had an English paper due, and it was due the next day, and it was 7 p.m. at night, and I haven't even started yet. I was doomed. That feeling of despair swept over me again. But in my younger years, amazingly, I, in, in much wiser moments, I went to my parents for comfort and for help. And as I was weeping in my mother's arms, telling her, there's no hope, Mom, I don't know what to do, she looked up at me, she smiled, and she said she could help. She said she could stay up, and she guided me through writing a paper. Now, without her I wouldn't even started, let alone finished, the paper. Now, I understand when we get older, we realize our parents can't help us in all our, our problems. They can't solve all our biggest problems. And maybe you've realized that earlier on in your life. But don't we continue, when life gets really hard, we seek out for someone or something to help us when life seems a little too challenging? At least I think we should. So whether we're rich or poor, young or old, male or female, when we feel overwhelmed in life, we turn to someone we think has the power to help us. And if you think about it this way, if you're drowning in a pool, you're looking for someone who has the ability, the power to help you dive in there and get you out. You don't care about good intentions. You need deliverance. So in your darkest moments, when you think there is no hope, who do you turn to? Today, I want to tell you who I think we should all turn to, who you should turn to, someone that you can help you in your ultimate challenges in life, someone who is worthy not only to ask for help, but worthy of our devotion and loyalty and service. And you're probably thinking, well, I know what that is. And you're right. It's the God of the Bible. We want to turn to God, but I want to tell you why you should turn to him today, why he is someone who is worthy of our devotion and service. It's the one who has revealed himself in creation and the one who supremely revealed himself through his son, Jesus. So again, as Pastor Paul mentioned, I'm going to be continuing on in our sermon series, or the sermon series Pastor Paul started a couple of weeks ago, progressing through a historic statement called the Apostles' Creed. As Paul said again today and a couple of weeks ago, this is a creed that has been used by Christians across the globe 
at least 1,500 years of identifying core teachings of the faith, specifically who God reveals himself to be, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I want you to remember what Paul said, Pastor Paul said, about the creed. It summarizes key teachings of God's word. And again, for Christians, it's not authoritative in and of itself, but it is an accurate summary about who God is and what it says in his word. So I am not preaching, Paul's not preaching the Apostles' Creed, but simply using it as a tool to preach from about the essential topics of the Christian faith. So again, Pastor Paul began a couple weeks ago with the statement, I believe. And today I want to highlight another part of that first statement of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. So that's the statement I want to focus on, the Father Almighty. So what does it mean to be, for God to be Father Almighty? Well, first, I want us to understand it's really important that those, both those words are together, both Father and Almighty. We need to see that without Almighty, if God was just Father, He would care for His people, but there would be no hope that He had the power to actually make good on His plans and His promises. Without the word Father, God wouldn't have any obligation to be merciful or care for any of his creation or people. Everyone could just get what they deserve if we're not obeying what God asked. But together, Father Almighty, we have the God of the Bible. We have the one who uses his power both for a directed purpose and is personal. God is both Father and Almighty, and both words are needed. Now, I'm sure some of you might be struggling here today with just the term Father itself. Some of you may have a horrible dad or a dad who has abandoned his responsibilities. The, fa the word Father for you invokes in your mind not hope or comfort, but anger or shame. Now, I, don't, I can't say that I can resolve all those issues, but I just want us to think about one thing, focus on one aspect of how God is Father that might help. First, I just want us to see whether we have a good dad or not, all of us have a sense of what a good father should be. We have this concept of father in our minds. I mean, if you think about it this way, how do you know whether a dad is good or not? You have some standard in your mind in which to base how to evaluate your father. And I want to tell you, as you read through the Bible, you will see that God is the truest sense of what a father should be. God the Father is faithful to his people, loving, compassionate, a protector, and a provider. If you want to see what a father looks like, an ideal father, look no further than the God who is Father in heaven. So what does Father Almighty mean? It means that we have a God who is both powerful and personal, or better yet, maybe parental, and God has the power to love and care for his family. And so my main point today is I want to show you that God's almighty power shows he is worthy of our ultimate trust and devotion. 
And as we just heard read, I think Exodus 14, the story in Exodus 14, displays this truth wonderfully. So if you don't have your Bibles already open to Exodus 14, please do so or open up your Bible app. And if you are rummaging through there to Exodus 14, I just want to give us some time to, to think back of what the Exodus story, where, we, where we're going in the Exodus story and remind you of some things. I mean, here in Exodus 14, we have the big climactic ending between Israel and Egypt. We have big armies, a cloud wall, the splitting of the Red Sea. And so I want to remind us how we got to this point. So I'm sure many of you are, ava- are aware and are familiar with the Exodus story, but let me just give a quick summary of kind of some highlights through Exodus until we get to Exodus 14. Or if you haven't watched The Princess Bride, shame on you first. But if you have, and you should, uh, you'll remember Inigo Montoya said to Wesley when he was bringing Wesley back to life, and Wesley said, what's going on? What's happening? Inigo Montoya said, let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me summarize. So here are the highlights, Okay of Exodus. So we have Pharaoh, who is the king of Egypt, and he has enslaved God's people. He has oppressed them so much that, his, that God's people cry out to God, and God hears their prayers. And so God calls a man named Moses to be his representative. And God says to Moses, come, I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses does that. He goes to Pharaoh telling, let God's people go. And Pharaoh scoffs. He laughs. I'm not letting anybody go. But this is just what God wanted. And so God performs 10 signs to show the Egyptians that God is in control. And after 10 signs, ending with the death of the Egyptians' firstborn, Pharaoh finally lets God's people go. But as God was leading the Israelites to the land he promised, Pharaoh had second thoughts. (laughs) He found that, when he found, and when he found out that they were actually just camped out in a place by the Red Sea, he said, I think I need them again. And so he thought he would bring 600 of his choice chariots, probably over a thousand chariots, and his officials and his army. And he said, let's go get those people back. But again, this is exactly what God wanted. God, Father Almighty, wanted Pharaoh and his armor to come so that he could show he was the most powerful. This is what God says in Exodus 14, 4, our chapter here. He says, I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. God wanted Pharaoh and all the Egyptians to know who really has all the power. I love this. As one commentator said about this story, this story is a moment of supreme demonstration of the power of God displayed for the benefit of those who put their trust in him. So as we walk through the story of the clash between the Egyptians and God, I hope you see God's almighty power shows he is worthy of our trust and devotion. And I think we see God's power on display through his promises, his protection, and his punishment. And that'll be our outline today, his promises, his protection, and his punishment. So let's first go and see God's almighty power through his promises. 
which is just the first part of our story here, verses 10 through 15. All right, so back to the story here in Exodus. We have the Israelites camping somewhere um, in the Suez, what, what's called the Suez Canal. You really think of the Mediterranean Sea, and you got the Red Sea. There's a canal there. Somewhere around there is where God's people are camping out. But again, it doesn't matter exactly where they are. The important thing is they're in a very vulnerable position. Mind you, God's people, the Israelites, were about 600,000 men. That's a pretty big group. But they also had all their livestock, all their family. Now, they were supposed to be God's army. But at this moment, they weren't ready to defend themselves against thousands of chariots of a well-trained army that Pharaoh was sending upon them. So I'm sure it was quite a shock for the Israelites when they were leaving Egypt thinking they'll never see the Egyptians ever again. And it's probably quite a shock to see that they were, they were looking at thousands of chariots streaming toward them worrying that, oh, they're not just going to take us back, they're going to try to kill us. And we can hear their shock you can see that in verse 11. What do they say to Moses? They say, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Is, this, or is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone so we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. This to me doesn't sound like a lot of trust in God or in Moses. This seems like bitter cynicism or a lack of trust in God, which is surprising in one sense, don't you think? They just saw God do amazing signs in Egypt. They saw a whole river turn from water to blood. They saw locusts streaming in, but it didn't matter how many signs. The reality was they saw chariots coming at them, and they saw Pharaoh was still alive, and his army looked very real. And seeing and hearing the fear of the Israelites, I love what Moses does here. He calls the Israelites to remember God's great promise. Listen to what Moses says in verses 13 and 14. He says, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. Moses says there's no need to worry about that your enslaver is coming with his whole army to take you back. Why? Because God would be there for them. They just have to trust that God will make good on his promises. The Lord will fight for them. And remember, this is really important here. God, or excuse me, Moses isn't just invoking God generally. He's calling upon the personal name of God. Some Bibles have it capitalized, all caps, the Lord, but he's invoking Yahweh, the name that God gave Moses in Exodus. Moses is not just calling out to a God. He's calling out to Yahweh, the God, who said he would keep his people, he would protect his people. Moses knew God, Yahweh, always keeps his promises and it should be the same for us. Because God is Father Almighty, we should lean on His promises, not on our circumstances, because God always keeps His promises. So today, for all of us here, 
What promises do you lean upon when life is going hard or feel, when you feel overwhelmed? Let's just take a couple of promises that I hear the world telling us. When life is hard, you just have to find the strength within. That's how you get through your overwhelming problems. Or when life gets hard, it's because someone else is doing nasty things to you. Those Democrats in power, we need to overthrow them, vote for a Republican, or flip it. Those Republicans are in power, we need to vote for Democrats. They'll make our lives better. Or maybe you hear this promise, when life gets hard, just remember it really doesn't matter. You're just matter in motion. You're just an involved monkey. Why don't you just keep calm and carry on? Are these promises worth trusting in? I think, but even more important, the question is, do these promises even have the power to make good on what they promise? Can they actually deliver? Because promises are only meaningful if they are kept. It doesn't matter how many promises you make. It's if you can keep your promise. So what I want you to see today is that God is the only being who has the power and purpose to keep all his promises. That's why we call him Father Almighty. As Moses told the Israelites to remember what God had promised, I want to remind everyone here today what God has promised to those who would trust in him through Jesus. This is just one promise. Out of thousands and thousands, we can go into God's word. And I think this one's important. This is Isaiah 41, verse 10. And it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hands. Do you see the difference between the world's promises and God's promises? The world's promises rely on either you or people like you to make good on them. God's promises rely upon God. The world says to look to yourself or to others just like you. I don't know about you, but I can't see into the future. I don't know about you, but I'm not all powerful. And I don't think any human is like that. You see, what God promises, he says, I will look after you because I'm the one who made and sustains the universe. God is the one who has the power to keep all his promises and we should look to him and he says he will care for his people and he has the power to protect us. When you trust in the Father Almighty, you can lean on his promises, not on your circumstances. So let's go to point two where we see God's almighty power through his protection. And this is found in verses 15 through 22. So back to our story. We have Pharaoh's army barreling down upon the Israelites. The Israelites have nowhere to run. They're pinned in. They have sea on one end, and they have an army coming at them on the other end. And listen to what God tells Moses here in verse 15 and 16. God says, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it so that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. We're seeing God put his promises into action. But isn't it funny that God says, why do you cry to me? Like it's, it's a difficult thing for him to do. God isn't worried. God isn't saying, oh no, Pharaoh's coming. He's not biting his fingernails. It's like an ant confronting an elephant. 
God isn't worried about Pharaoh. And because of that, God will protect his people, and they shouldn't worry either. So God sends his angel, which is this pillar of cloud. I don't know how this would have worked, but this pillar of cloud comes, and it's a barrier between the army and the Israelites, and for the whole evening, they can't get to each other. I don't know how this worked out, but they couldn't get to each other. And as Pharaoh's armies are disoriented at night, God, or excuse me, Moses did what God commanded. It says in verse 21, Moses stretches out his hand over the sea, and the Lord, Yahweh, drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. This would have been an amazing sight to see. This sea that looked so impossible to cross over was now split in two. Two walls of water separated by dry land. Not wet, not damp, but dry land. And the Israelites went across the sea and made it two the other side. God made good. He protected his people. But I bet some of you might be asking today, yeah, God protected the Israelites in this story, but Christians aren't always protected in everything, all challenges, wicked injustice in their lives. What about that? And this is true. You're right. God has never promised that he wouldn't put difficulties or trials in his people's lives. But God did promise that these trials would work together for good and for his glory. Listen to what a follower of Jesus said, Paul said to other Christians in Romans, a letter to Christians at Rome. In Ro- this is in chapter 8, 28. This is what Paul wants to remind us. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now, how trials work together for good, I think, can be a mystery for us. I don't think we have to fully understand how it can work for good. But we need to know that there are no accidents. God isn't caught off, surpri- uh, caught off guard or surprised. God does care for his people. So there might be trials and difficulties. That might be true. But God promises that it will work out for good. But this story does show us that God will ensure his people will not be enslaved. Now, this took an outward form in the story by taking and protecting God's people from physical enslavers, Egypt and the Egyptians. But there is a worse enslavement than this in our lives, and it is our natural bent towards sin or rebellion. All of us, even the Israelites, are born enslaved to sin, a natural desire to turn away from God rather than turning toward him in trust, love, and obedience. So this true protection we need is not from trials, but it's ultimately from our sin, which is against God. And this is where God did promise that he will always protect and save his people from their true oppression. Listen to what Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. He says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. God is the only one with the power to destroy both soul and body. True, the true deliverance we need is not from outward wickedness, but from our inward wickedness. 
And this is something God has dealt with through, his, through the person and work of his son, Jesus. God will deliver and sustain those who would trust and follow Jesus. Yes, God will put trials in our lives if we follow him. But God will always protect his people from the ultimate oppression, which is sin. Even when there is pain, injustice, wickedness in our world, in our own lives, we can trust as Christians that God is protecting us from the depths of hell. So lastly, we see God's almighty power on display through his punishment, which is found in chapter 14, verses 23, 31. So now again, back to the story. After Israelites have made it safely across the sea, the cloud that was blocking Pharaoh's army suddenly opens up. And it says in verse 23, the Egyptians pursued and went after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. The full force of the Egyptians are now coming after the Israelites. It seems like it's not over. But again, God keeps his promises God brings the pillar of cloud back onto this army as they're making their way across the sea and he causes the main force to slow up. He jams the chariot's wheels. In fact, it's so obvious that the Egyptians say, they say, let us flee before Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. But it's much worse than that and it's much worse for them. God does what he promised to do. He said, I will get the glory. And those who are against me will be judged. And so God commands Moses to drop his hand and the water drops on this panicked and fleeing army. And this is what it says in verse 28. The waters return and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that had fallen them into the sea, not one of them remained. God kept his promise and protected his people and he punished those who would go against God. Listen again how the story of Exodus, the story we've just read, is summarized in verse 30 and 31. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power, or you can also say the great hand that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord, and in his servant, Moses. There were two powers, the hand of the Egyptians and the hand of God, or the Lord Yahweh. Both wanted their way, and the Lord showed who was mightier. God had the ultimate power to save the Israelites. So as with the Egyptians, anyone who is rebellious against God, the Father Almighty, will sadly have a similar fate. This is God's plan from the very beginning. He, again, he said in verse 4 of Exodus 14, I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians will know I am the Lord. Again, glory here has a sense of weight, but even more importantly, a sense of power. God wants to show his glory is mightier than that of the Egyptians. God will not be mocked. Those who do not bow the knee and serve him through his son Jesus, their only hope is fearful expectation of judgment. Friends, if there are anyone here that is not following God through Jesus, you're like the Egyptians. You're under judgment, sadly. But it doesn't have to be this way. 
It doesn't have to be this way. Instead of running away from God, you can run toward him. If you put your trust in Jesus, his son, who made the ultimate sacrifice, being punished in the place of those who would trust in him, Jesus was punished for those people's sins. And then there is not fear of judgment, but of mercy and life. I also want to remind those of us who are following after Jesus today, let us be reminded in this story that it is God's place to judge. It is God's place to condemn. Our calling as God's children is to be peacemakers, to be reconcilers. This doesn't mean we turn a blind eye to calling out injustice or to let others be abused. I'm not saying that. But in our daily lives, is our posture the one of mercy, of one of mercy, of peace, of kindness? Again, remember what Paul wrote in a follower of Jesus in Romans 12. He says, If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Christians, we should never forget to show mercy, to be peacemakers. Why can we do this? Why can we take the hit? Because one day, God will have justice. He will make everything right again. And it will either be covered by the blood of Jesus, or it will be punished for eternity. So I hope, as we've walked through this story, we've seen God's promises, protection, and even his punishment. Through this, I hope we would all again either renew our devotion to God, or we would, for the first time, be devoted to God his almighty power and show that he is Father Almighty. So what does trusting in God and being devoted to him look like? Well, an easy, straightforward answer is remember his promises, remember what he has done, and call upon those when things get difficult. This is good, this is fine, but I want to suggest something else. I think it would be important for us to retell the stories of what God has done, to remember how mighty he is. I hope I've been a demonstration of that, calling back the story of the parting of the Red Sea. My sons love baseball and football. Right now it's baseball, because there's not, there's not a lot of football going on, but they love baseball. And they also love to watch highlights. I mean, love watching game recaps. And there's, not, there's very few days that go by when I come home I hear them say, hey, Dad, I want to show you this awesome home run. Or, Dad, did you see this catch? It's incredible. And do this time and time again. I was the same way when I was younger. I'd wake up early in the morning. I'd, I'd turn on the TV, and there was this thing called Sports Center, And basically, it was just a highlight reel from the previous day of what amazing things were happening in sports. Why, why do we do that kind of stuff? Why do my, why do my kids love watching these highlights again and again? I think it's because we love to see excellence on display for the things we care about. We love people just displaying this ability and saying, wow, I can't do that, but I love it. I love that. And it inspires us. So Christians, to remind ourselves of being devoted to God, to remember his promises are yes and amen, we should tell each other stories of what God has done. Do you remember what God did when he saved his people, he split the sea 
over? Do you remember what God did when he sent his son Jesus to take our punishment and die on a cross? Do you remember that? And it reminds us and renews us. Not how great we are or how amazing we are, but it reminds us how great God is. May we remember what God has done and put us in a state of awe. Now, I'm sure you can, a lot of you can have stories like that about your kids too. And in fact, as parents, we have tremendous highs and lows. We have lots of stories. And I'm sure a lot of you have experienced more highs and more lows than I have. But there was a time years ago when my, my wife and I were getting to bed and my youngest son, Abel, was bouncing on the bed. And you're thinking, oh, already a bad idea. You're right. It gets worse. Sorry. But he's bouncing on the bed and I'm turning around. And as I'm turning around, he thinks it's a good idea to jump on my back. It's, it's there, just jump on dad's back. And I wasn't expecting this, so as I'm turning, he tries to jump on my back. I don't realize it, so I can't catch him. He bounces off me, and he kind of rolls. And as I'm turning, I'm seeing this whole thing unfold, and all his weight, as he's falling on the floor, goes on his arm. And I I'll spare you the details, but I saw everything in an excruciating deal. It was like time slowed down. And it was devastating. Now, I knew I had to take him to the emergency room. I just knew it immediately. There was no question in my mind, and I'm just worried for him. Now, he did break his arm. He did have to get surgery. He did get a cast. He's fine. He's fine. But in that moment, when he's on the floor, and he's writhing in pain, I wish I had the power to take it away. But I couldn't. I couldn't do anything. I had to rely upon somebody else. But you know what's so great? Is that God, the Father Almighty, will never say that to us. He'll never say, I can't. All his promises are yes and amen. All his promises are yes and amen in Jesus. How do I know this? Because God conquered our greatest enemy, sin, our rebellion, by punishing his son in our place so that he could be both just and the justifier. God's almighty power has purpose and is personal so that he can protect his family and punish those who would farm them, even punish our sins so we could be saved. That is our God. So as Christians, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Let's go and serve that God.